Hello there. Thank you for clicking on this little audio file. Perhaps through SoundCloud, perhaps through iTunes. It's your world. You're doing it. But thank you. It's episode two of How Am I Doing with Kyle Hickey. This week I have a very hilarious guest. She is a writer. She has written for such TV shows as George Strombolopagus. I don't know how to say that word at all. Apparently Ron McLean just took over for him uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. We didn't get into that, but I, 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 didn't cl- I didn't click on the article, but I saw an article with the headline saying Ron McLean takes over for George Strombolopagus on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, should have known better than to fuck around on Ron's turf, George, you know? Um, he, he took one look at that thumb and was like, uh, next year I'm getting back in this thing. Don Cherry just ripping him up backstage. What is Don Cherry to George Strombo? Like, I saw a picture of them giving a thumbs up together, but I can only imagine there was some sort of, uh, homophobic slur going through Don Cherry's head. I don't know. I don't know about that. But, gosh, I'm getting off topic. My guest today, uh, she is, she wrote for George Stromalopoulos, uh, for several years, and now she is the head writer of, uh, CBC Punchline, which is a satirical, um, website that's, uh, on the, on the CBC, which apparently is, uh, going to be changing now. There's a, uh, new, new things happening with CBC. We talk about that. I don't, I'm not going to get too too much into it in the in the pregame, uh, but you you'll hear all about that. Sophie was kind enough to come in, and um, it's always so tough to ask people to do your part because a I'm pretty sure I'm nine years too late, and b you feel like you're inconveniencing people. You you feel like you you're asking people to come over to your place that you've never met, and you want to have conversations with them. And, but the most people that I have asked have been amazing and nice. And uh, someone who recently came in, I, f- I feel awful because the audio just kept getting uh, so fucked up. And I didn't mean to. I, uh, I'm only one man. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. Uh, there's a lot of little knobs and levers. I don't have like a little producer that's by me. So I really gotta... Uh, I'm getting better at it. But this was uh, an amazing conversation. Sophie was so open and so... Um, nice and kind to really share her experiences and uh, tell me how she was doing. Um, so I'm really happy with uh, the way that it went, I think. And um, if if you uh, are enjoying the show, then uh, please, please retweet it. Please subscribe. Please share. Please uh, rate. It's a, a real passion project. Oh, so much passion. I want to take this project and lay it down and kiss it all over and put on some old Barry Manilow. Hmm, I think it's supposed to be Barry White. I think Barry Manilow is not not exactly always the most sexy. I like a pina colada. That's not even Barry Manilow. Good God, what am I doing here? Sophie Cohen. Wonderful conversation. Hilarious lady. Uh, Thought I played softball against her. It was a clone and I finally revealed that at the ending. Um, but thank you so much for listening uh, today. It's Monday, uh, June 20th, two days away from my big brother Tim's birthday. Uh, it's stinking hot here. So please, if you're on your way to work or whatever you're doing, just enjoy the podcast. Goodbye. Uh, go and the headphones that go in here, they need like 
a doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I don't have that at all because I was like, oh, sweet, I'll just plug yeah, my yeah, thing yeah. in. And then I was like, this doesn't fit at all. <laughs> I think I'm going oh, to electrocute annoying. myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. You are in comedy for a while. a while. You started in Second City? I did. I, I guess, uh, when was it? Like seven point eight years ago. Wow, I like that. I know. Down to the down to the point eight. It's quite. Because you have to translate from the twelve to yeah, a ten. Yeah, I know. I'm not messing with that. It's at quite all. specific. Um, <laughs> I went through the conservatory program at Second City. Great. And I did a whole bunch of sketch and improv. Did you love it? I loved it so hard. Yeah, and you it look was... convincing when you say it too. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was like my lover in the night. Oh, I love it. You yeah. had like a positive uh, experience with I it. I did, yeah. I how, um, how long did you do it for? How long was like conservatory? Um, well, conservatory program is a year. Before that, I'd done maybe a couple years of classes. And then okay. I auditioned for conservatory. And then they, I think they take about 10 or 12 people. They put you in a troupe together basically for a year. Mm-hmm. And then you spend the year improvising and writing a sketch show. And then it's directed by um, like a pretty, usually like a veteran comic that's got to be kind of tough being lumped in. Did you know all of the people before? Were you just kind of like hurled into a group yeah, of 12 we, people? Yeah, and, pretty much, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Did, did it work out fine? It was like, incredible. It was It was such a, it was a group of like the weirdest, most creative, like... That's just what you mean like, in comedy. Like, just like interesting and strange people. That's great. Because <laughs> it was I an loved, improv or sketch. Well, it was kind of a blend. Like in conservatory, the idea is you, you perform improv a few times a week. And then the best moments of the improv, you, you take those and use them to build a sketch mm. show. And then at the end of the year, you put on like a, a full-length two-hour right. sketch show, um, kind of based on the premises that come out of your improv. Well, that's great. So when you're doing it yeah. the whole week that you're improving, are you doing that in front of people or are you just doing it yeah. as like a rehearsal? Like you do, you do classes uh, that are just the director kind of coaching you. And then mm-hmm. I think a couple weeks, we'd, a couple times a week, sorry, we would uh, go out and perform. In front of people. <laughs> yeah, the fright and improv is yeah. so heavily reliant on teammates, you know? Like, it, that's yeah. what I find so frightening about it is, like, stand-up, it's just me, and if yes. I mess up, it's only on me. <laughs> but if I mess up in a scene, that's on, on yeah. everybody, you yeah. know? They have to try and make up for it, and they try have to save it, you know? So yeah. it's good that you were working with people that you enjoyed, because all it takes is one person in a scene to be yeah. like, I got a penis for a nose, yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, now we got to pretend that this is a thing. You know? I know, I, and I that is true. And on the flip side, though, I found that um, I have since started to do stand-up, but mm-hmm. almost, almost a year ago now. Um, and my fear actually going into stand-up was okay like an improv and sketch if you bomb like at least you all go down together yes and in stand-up if you bomb it's like the audience is basically just like no we reject you as (laughs) you (laughs) Sophie Cohen we reject as an individual yeah and also like you're not in character like an improv often you're in character yes you're playing somebody weird so if it doesn't go well it's like oh maybe that character was weird but again in stand-up it's like no, no, no. The essence of who you are as a person yeah. is not acceptable. Your thoughts as a human being, <laughs> I disagree with wholeheartedly. Yeah, exactly. It's also good, though, in stand-up, in those moments, you can break the fourth wall and be like, well, this is terrible. Yes. Whereas <laughs> it's improv, you're like, yeah. just keep trying. Like, you just keep plugging away. Or like, It's not so bad in improv, but if I'm, if I'm in a sketch and the sketch is bombing, yeah. and you're like, we got another three minutes. And our best joke just died, and yeah. we've got worse coming behind. Yeah. So that's what I like about stand-up, where you can be like, hey, everyone, I know this is not going well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So how you did the conservatory for a year, mm-hmm. and then did you audition for the main stage or anything like that um, to do? No. Weirdly, what happened was, um, I, what I took out of that experience at Second City 
I had the best time. Yeah. I loved it, as I said, real hard. But I kind of realized that primarily I'm not an actor, I'm a writer. And I, right. think, I think I kind of knew that. Uh, but I was in conservatory with a bunch of people who were also in their other lives trying to make it as actors. And they all had agents and they all went out for auditions. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really doing any of that. Um, just because it didn't interest you? Or, or uh, you just, just didn't like the idea of having to go out every single day? I kind of tried on the idea for a bit. I think I... I think I, I thought about getting an agent and I talked to some people. Um, but over the course of the year, I kind of realized, like, I, I can act if I have to. Yeah. But it's not where I shine. It's not my natural. Um, I don't, I feel anxiety when I have to act. Oh, yeah? Uh, not anxiety, but I feel like, I don't feel, like, pumped about it the way I do about writing. Like, it's not, it's not really what, um, what kind of turns the world for me. So I, I kind of. I kind of came out of that experience, and it was really valuable, uh, realizing that I think my my way into comedy was going to be through writing rather than, like, acting. Right. And that is ultimately what sort of got me into stand-up, too, was that it was a form of comedy where I could be on stage, I, had, I could have complete control of my writing, I could write all my own stuff, it wasn't subject to anybody else's opinion or approval the way it is in sketch. Yeah. Um, that makes me sound like a maniacal. No, not at all. I <laughs> like, think... it's all mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want all of it, and I want no one else to get credit. But I, I, I am particular about my writing, and I like having that kind of creative control. Yeah, well, and... even in the, in the stand-up that I've uh, seen from you, you're a writer. You know, like, for, yeah. I, can, I can completely yeah, see yeah, all yeah. of your jokes. Yeah, not, yeah. not, like, see them, like, coming or anything, but, yeah. like, I'm like, oh, that's a, a well-written joke. No, like, she, she absolutely knows how to write a joke. Thanks, man. No, no problem. I'm happy to compliment when I can. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to rewind a bit. Go before sure. Second City. Mm -hmm. Were you already interested in writing? Like, were you in an English major? Sort yes. of. Yes. Nice. Yes. I could smell it. I, I yeah. was as well. <laughs> we I know. Um, I, yeah, I was an English major. And then, actually, my plan was to be a journalist. And oh. I went to grad school for journalism at Ryerson. Okay. And Did you do your degree at Ryerson as well? Like your bachelor? Uh... No, I was at U of T for English. And okay. I went to Ryerson. Um, and I went through journalism. Um, and looking back on it, it's kind of funny because I was always... We have all these like assignments, you know, like hardcore journalism assignments in class. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that I loved the most, I found a couple of like weirdos with a good sense of humor in my class. Uh, and the thing that I loved doing the most was sitting in class and writing sort of like ridiculous, like onion style emails to each other about like, like the weird professor or like, yeah. like a stupid thing that happened in the class. And we yeah. would just like, basically, there's like three of us who were really into it. And we would just during lectures, like email each other with like, like basically we were just making jokes the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of. I was kind of going to go into journalism as like a, just a straight up writer. And I think around the time, around the time I graduated, I'm not sure what happened. I turned like 25 or something. I had some weird like moment where I was kind of like, I got to do something crazy to shake it up. And 25. I, <laughs> I <know. laughs> That's what happens. You're halfway through and I you're know. like, I better do something. I know. It's adorable looking back on it. <laughs> oh, I know. When you think that you're so old and so you're 25, you're like, oh. I know. But the way I responded to this weird crisis was um, to go just do an improv class at Second City. Mm. And um, 
I fell in love with it after about 10 seconds. Not just the art form, but also just like the tribe that I found there. Well, it seems like even in your talks about uh, journalism class, you enjoyed being surrounded by, uh, you say, weirdos, yes. strange yes. people. So yes. like that right off the bat is like comedy. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. you're going to find your home. Yeah. Oddballs who, exactly. who for some reason have to be validated <laughs> through laughs. I know. And I think looking back on most of my schooling, that was probably true. It's true in high school. All my friends were kind of like, weirdo outcasts in yeah. some ways i was kind of i was kind of the comic relief in most of the groups of friends i've had you were you the funny one like in, in high school and stuff yeah like i think that? so like, like i was sort of dry wit the weird one you know mm-hmm. <laughs> were you weird in high school yeah i was pretty weird in high school <laughs> like in what way were you like uh, dying your hair and just uh... uh no not even that i think i was just um i was just like just kind of absurdist i think yeah um i was really into like Monty Python and the movie Airplane. Oh, jeez! And like, I was just <laughs> so you had like the the holy grail of comedies. Yeah, and I favorite. was just I think I was starting to discover that that was. I remember watching Airplane when I was like twelve or fourteen or something, and to- and and also uh, Jack Handy on SNL. Mm-hmm. And these things like the completely moments. rewired my brain, and I was just like. Oh, you can be like that in the world. Oh, yeah. that's that's huge. Like, yeah, that's and those are really silly, silly things. Yeah. Monty Python was really silly, was and all silly. those Leslie Nielsen uh, movies yes. were just jokey joke yeah. joke jokes. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, really silly, and I remember as a kid really liking those a lot. Yeah, too. like they were just really funny, and you could laugh. My dad and I could both watch that. Yeah, and yeah, laugh, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you you started doing stand up after second city like what i guess there was a, a grace period of time what did you do after the inventory you started uh, uh doing s- a sketch with other friends from second city or the conservatory um i did i call it inventory <laughs> oh <laughs> god what an idiot <laughs> the old second city inventory I like that. And I they like just that. Uh, check you before you go to bed <laughs> you're good you can go <laughs> you're in the inventory you're fine. thank you thank you so much um what did i do i so after that i got um after i graduated from conservatory like I said, I was starting to sort of lean more towards the writing of comedy. Were you getting a package together? Were you? Uh... Um, I was, and I got hired to write for George Strombolopoulos. Yes, on... I, I found that out. I yes. had no idea. The Strombo. The Strombo. That's and, great. What season? Uh, I was there for four seasons. So. That's great. Yeah, I had sort of started, like, I was kind of freelancing a bit at CBC uh, at the time, and kind of the thing that started it all was there was a show on Saturday mornings on CBC radio called Go. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a comedy show, kind of like a weird, <laughs> a bit of like an absurdist game show All right. hosted by Brent Bambury, who was still on the air, just on a different show. Um, and I, at some point, I had a friend who was working on that show. And at some point I wrote, just on a purely social level, I wrote an email to this friend ranting about some ridiculous thing that had happened in my day and she read it and she thought it was funny so she showed it to her exact producer at go and it happened this is a ridiculous story it happened they all are like so <laughs> much of it is just right place right know, time like just things getting forwarded sorry i didn't know yeah off, no no it's, showed it's, it. it's true and so she showed it to um to david the guy who was running the show and he was like, it just happened at that moment that he was looking for freelance writers for Go. And he was like, who is this weird person? <laughs> Bring her in to write a show. And I started kind of writing for them a bit freelancing and stuff. Um, and then gradually started writing for them quite regularly. And then the show got canceled at one point. It had been on the air for like five years or something. Right. And CBC canceled it. And then... As CBC does. As they do. <laughs> um, and then... 
in another like crazy coincidence, um, Strombo was uh, hiring writers at that time. And I took this like very like paltry amount of comedy writing experience that I had on the radio. I had never worked in television. I had no Right. Nothing. I was. I was like. I went through Second City, and I've written a few comedy. Radio you have a shows. journalism degree too, though, so at least uh, shows yeah. that you know you know how to write, and you know yeah. how to, you can put your mind towards something and accomplish it. Yeah, but I think Strombo was a really intimidating place because um, it was a really established show. It's a national network show. It's a big deal. Strombo was a big presence. Yeah. Uh, and it's a daily show, so it moves fast. Like it's mm. like the radio show I was working on, Go, that was a weekly. So we had all week to tinker with the writing. Yeah. It was very leisurely. We were like, la, la. and then was Strombo five days a week? Yeah. It was oh my god! Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And so I walked in. Somehow I got an interview, and then I walked in. Um, and I, I've never had like a bigger case of imposter syndrome. I sat through the whole interview, <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> and I just had a great. It wasn't even an interview. It was more of just like a, a great chat with the producer. Nice. Um, he, even though I had no TV experience and that, like he just kind of, I guess, saw something and he hired me. That's great. Did you and leave that interview being like, I think, I, I think felt, this is it. I, I think felt I got pretty it. good. I was, I, I wasn't like totally willing to like go there. I was like, there's no way I got that job. That's crazy. Like, yeah. That's it's always cool. easier to do that too. Cause yeah. if you don't get it, then it's easier. Yeah. Even though in your head, you're like, either way, I'm going to be devastated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was sort of like, well, that I feel like that went well, but you know, that's way out of my league. And then like 56 years went by, like so much time went by. I didn't even like hear from this guy. And I was like, I had sort of decided, well, that didn't pan out. Yeah. And then I was buying shampoo in Shoppers Drug Mart. As you do. At Young and Bloor. Jealous. Yeah. And man, right by the subway. Yeah. Living it up. <laughs> was living the dream. And then he called me in the middle of the shampoo aisle and he was like, I'm hiring you. And I was like, what? That's so great. You can remember exactly what you're buying. Oh, yeah. You know, like in that moment, yeah. you're looking at like, oh, do I want the one with yeah. avocado in it? And then all of a sudden your world changes. You know, like yeah. the least of your worries is now yes. shampoo. Yes. And I was like, well, it was a big moment for Uncle Sophie because I was just like, what? What is happening? And then, um, <laughs> and then I wrote on that show for four years. What were you writing for? Were you doing like desk jokes? Were I you was, doing uh, yeah. some pieces? Initially, I was hired to write. Um, well, that show like it changed. There were so many iterations of it. Like it changed format. It went from an hour. It was called the hour. Mm-hmm. Then it changed its name. Then it was half an hour. Then it was back to an hour. Like every year I wrote on that show, it was a totally different show. But initially, I'd been hired to write the comedic monologue off the top of the show. So George would sort of um, run down the news of the day, right? I but in that. yeah, and it was called um, it was initially called Mile a Minute, and then it was called something else. Like it had a lot of different names, but um, it was. And you were doing five of these a week. Yeah. Good God. Who does that? I mean, I should stress I was in a writing room with yeah. four other writers. But how were you guys doing it? Just opening in a newspaper and being like. Let's let's start here. Or did, yeah. Were you guys just working individually, and you come back with premises? Uh, we would. We had a writing room, so it was, it was a very collaborative experience. That was a whole other thing because uh, I walked into this writing room on the first day, and the, there were five of us, and the four other writers, they were all men. Mm, I was going to ask. Yes, they'd all been writing for the show since like 430 AD, like for so long. Yeah, right. They were <laughs> veterans, and they had all also been hired at the same time, so they were all very close with each other. Right. And they had all sort of established a rhythm with each other. They know what's going to make all, each other laugh. Yeah, they yeah. had all these inside jokes. They oh, were all gosh. like a, this like formidable unit of like man comedy. Yeah. And I was like, 
as a woman, I still am. One. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I had never written for TV. I was new on the show. Like, everything was, like, the worst. <laughs> it's got that cafeteria new yes. new girl in the school. And you're like, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I could sit with them, I but know. I'm supposed to work with them. Yeah. And, and then when I walked in there on the first day, and it was so fast-paced. It was just, like, and you had to, like, really work at it to get your voice in there. And it yeah. was, like... It was like jokes, 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 like flying, flying, and it was like what about this and like news and jokes and blah. How did you adapt? And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was just your overall yeah. for a year. It was just me. What? <laughs> yeah. And then they would take these like forty-minute breaks to like analyze the hockey game from last night. Ah. And then I would sort of be like, hmm. a little foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I adapted somehow. I don't know. I there was a lot of faking it in the beginning, um, and it was. It was a lot of just like gaining confidence, and that that took a while. Yeah, and that's uh, tough to jump into TV now, all of a sudden, especially five days a week. That's got to be mm-hmm. frightening. How was George as a, a boss? Was everyone says he is a very nice man? Yes. And the, the writers I know that worked for him. Yes, he's a lovely guy. Um, did you feel like you could go up and, and pitch things to him personally, or oh, yeah, did you yeah. have to go through somebody to talk? No, to he you? was very hands on about the show. He's oh, very involved, very accessible to us all day. Like he was very, he's really good that way. Um, He's a lovely guy. He's, um, he was, a, I went through a lot of like hard stuff personally on that show. Um, and he was a, he was just, an, as well as being a really understanding boss, he was a really good friend too. That's great. Um, that said, he, he, t- he took the show very seriously, as you would if your name was attached to yes. it. Um, and he worked as hard and he had a high expectations and he got upset when things were wrong or didn't work out or like we had a rough show. Like, he took it he really wore it yeah um but i think did he like go home and watch like would he watch every episode well like, we you had... always see the larry sanders show where he'd like yeah. go home and he would watch <laughs> yeah. it like he would never miss an episode he uh like we had a live taping in front of a live audience every night mm-hmm. um oh was it at night you guys didn't shoot it was like the day? no it was like five or six at night. okay like, yep. it, wasn't, uh, it was the, the end of the work day and mm-hmm. um he and then we'd, we would often have, like, a debrief after about what was good and what we could improve on. Um, but I I kind of just got the feeling that he was constantly just, like, living and breathing the show all the time. I right. think he went home and lay in bed at night and thought about the next day's show. And, like, he was so invested in it, which was good. Um, but, yeah, like, he worked us hard. <laughs> Did that uh, play a part in... Were you there when he ultimately decided to move to Hockey Night in Canada? Were you still a part of the show when he was uh, uh, wrapping it up? I left the season... Uh, they did one more season after, after you I left. left. Yeah. Great. So, Do you think the people yeah. were like, why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, like, he had a really... He was very passionate about hockey. Yeah. Uh, it's not a super surprise to me that he did that. He well, he had already, like, my dad and my, like, stepmom are big fans. Like, he oh, yeah. he managed to get uh, uh, older people interested yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in someone who wears thumb rings and, uh, like, you know, like, he just doesn't dress conventionally yes. in the same way. And now he's on Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's really a crazy feat from starting. He was, like, a much music VJ. Yeah, Isn't that yeah, how yeah. he started? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So you decided to leave, but you stayed with the CBC. Um, so. I Actually, I left all of work at once (laughs) I I stopped working for about a year uh, was this personal reasons like uh, you said that you sort of had some stuff going on yeah so at the end of my time with the show um, my mom was going through cancer uh, and she she went through cancer for about a year and a half and then died last year oh my gosh I'm so sorry thank you yeah and so I my dad's not around and so my sister and I were kind of her primary caregivers Mm -hmm. 
and that got to be like a full-time job especially where, where was she located she's here she's okay. in, well, she you was. grew up in toronto yes okay yeah sorry um yeah so she in the beginning i was sort of juggling a bit of freelance work um and taking her to appointments and looking after her and stuff and she was living alone so that was another kind of challenge because she needed a lot of help with day-to-day stuff um with you know making meals getting mm-hmm. groceries, running her house going to appointments um and yeah and then and then it just got to be too much like it was too how are you juggling that like you're working five days a week uh, with an extremely stressful job yes. <laughs> of where you are evaluated at the end of every day yes, like yes. very rarely are you working a desk job and then at the end of the day you're like okay come in here <laughs> we're gonna tell you what you did right and wrong i know so just as soon as it was wrapped would you go home, uh, to your mom's place yeah pretty much and i mean like i said george was very and the 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 team in general was really understanding and they were uh they were really good about sort of giving me a flexible schedule where, I mean, it's hard with a daily live show. It's not very flexible, but they were really good about just taking stuff off my plate and giving me flexibility. Um, And then the season only went until like June, I think. Uh, And then there's a hiatus and then you start back up again in August. So did you find it difficult because your personal life uh, was so serious Mm -hmm. to be able to live in jest when you got to work you know like you had to you had to be very funny and you had to be upbeat and sell jokes to people like that that must have been emotionally draining as well yeah that's a really good point I I did um it also was kind of liberating in a way comedically when Mm. when something is so something's happening to you that is so horrible and terrifying um you kind of look at the world differently you kind of look around and you see people arguing about their lattes or their parking tickets and you're sort of like what the fuck yeah (laughs) yeah like this means nothing yeah it doesn't matter like none of this matters and when you have that attitude i find that you are you are a bit more liberated as a comedian because you just you don't care like you're not you're sort of uninhibited in a way that's that's kind of good for comedy I did a, a, a benefit show. It was uh, one of those Walk for the Cure ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was yeah. at Dalhousie in Halifax. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I originally agreed to do the show, like I was just saying yes to everything. I was pretty early on. Yeah. I didn't even realize what I had really yeah. agreed to. So <laughs> yeah. when I showed up, I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really heavy subject matter. Yeah. And someone from the group had to be walking at all times. So like the okay. stage is here and then there's just a group of people walking. So right. like they're going to hear the premise and the punchline right, is so right. gone by the time they're gone. <laughs> yeah. But right before they started the comedy show, they were like, we just want to do a few things before we start the show mm-hmm. so they go up on stage and uh they say all right now we're gonna dim the lights and everyone's gonna walk who has uh, lost somebody mm. and they dim the lights and everyone like does a walk and like they're playing sarah mclaughlin then they, do, they oh, wow. do a walk for everyone who has it and like wow. I'm, I'm actually sobbing like yeah. i'm in the back because it's so yeah. heavy and at the same time i'm crying because like i have to do comedy yeah. right after <laughs> this is I done know. and i was like this is gonna be a nightmare this is the yeah. worst but when I got up there, everyone was so ready yes. to laugh. Like, <laughs> yeah. they were so ready to just not think... Of, not not that they yeah. were pushing it out of their head. They knew that it was happening. They mm. weren't pretending it didn't happen. But mm. they were just like, okay, we felt that. We got that emotion. Yeah. Let's have this other emotion yeah. for the love of God. I think that's really true. Like, I think... I remember, like, spending all day, like, with my mom in chemo. And then coming to work the next day just so hungry to be around jokes and people who are funny and yeah. just, like... And I was so, it's, it's really important when you're going through something like that, uh, where your days are so heavy and so dark, that you have a space in your day that's not that. Mm-hmm. that you have a space in your day that's, um, that just gives you permission to be someone else. Because otherwise you get consumed by, well, in that case, cancer. Yeah. And that is, that is really, 
it's unsustainable. And if you have to sustain looking after someone for a year and a half, as I did, and as a lot of people with cancer do, like that's that's a long haul, and you can't you can't operate out like on that intensity all the time for like twenty four hours a day. You'll yeah. you'll die. Yeah, you'll literally just start deteriorating. You yes. won't look after yourself. <laughs> like you're just like, did I eat yeah, today? Yeah, yeah. Like I just I'm yeah. so worried about somebody else. Yeah, and I'm not taking the time to just laugh and smile. Yeah, like, exactly. So um, so I uh, but after a while, like it became. As my mom got sicker, it became harder to work, and I, yeah, I basically, there's a, there's a leave you can take, sort of like EI, the government pays a compassionate care leave. Okay. Where if you're looking after someone who is dying, um, you get kind of EI benefits for a period of time. So I just did that and looked after my mom. And um, actually, I was just thinking that, <laughs> um, just on the subject of being hungry to laugh. Yes. One of the bits that I started off doing in stand-up came out of uh came out of spending like every single day pacing up and down hospital hallways yeah and i'm so sad and like anxious and like just in a horrible place um and i was walking up and down the hallway once waiting for my mom to get out of some kind of test and i passed a sign that said major burn unit and i guess my brain was just like so desperate for comedy that i kind of i started thinking like wouldn't it be funny if a person like really misunderstood what the major burn unit was all about and just thought it was a place where like you go in and people drop like major burns on you and they're just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. nice pants asshole yeah and, like it's just wilder vomaramu hosting <laughs> some sort of diss yeah. off in there. yeah and i yeah. actually and then in the middle of this like horrible nightmare i just burst out laughing and then i turned it i later turned it into a stand-up bit so that's great. You know. That's a funny, <laughs> funny joke. Did your mom have a good sense of humor? Did yeah, she... amazing. Yeah. yeah. She, was, she, was, she was so witty and quick and just like, she laughed really easily and just joyfully and she was, <laughs> she was ridiculous. Yeah. And you have a sister? I do have Older a sister. Older or younger? She's four years younger. Four years younger. Yes. Nice. Yes. And does she do comedy? No, she's a lawyer. <laughs> oh, she's a real person. She's oh my gosh. Real, she's a real grown-up. Oh my gosh, they exist? I know. Oh. I mean, I say that she's four years younger, but really, she's quite a bit older than me. Yeah? Like, emotionally and spiritually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, um, you're the adult yes, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like a real person in like a pantsuit with like a wow. mortgage. Still living in Toronto? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, she was in. Uh, she was away at school. She was at Queens, and she was living in Kingston uh, for a while. But then she moved back to Toronto. So did she move uh, to help as well? Where? Uh, no, she'd been time? back for a couple of years before my mom got sick. She okay. was articling in Toronto, and then yeah. So you leave and you say take some time off, mm-hmm. compassionate care, and you mm-hmm. look after your mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point uh, were you like, I, I got to get back out there and start getting? getting some laughs or something do, do yeah. some writing get some creative outlets yeah well for a while like after she died last year i um or nearly two years ago i guess um i kind of was in a like grief is a weird thing i got i got exhausted first of all um and i think for about six months after she died it was just it was just about surviving the day it was like just taking care of basic fundamental needs like if i got through a day I fed myself, I clothed myself, I got outside for a bit. That was enough. And that's kind of how grief is in the beginning. It's very, it's very oppressive. Like, it's really like. Yeah. 
I never um, lost a parent, and I couldn't imagine. You know, it's really yeah. one of those unfathomable yeah. things where you're like, I just, I couldn't put myself in there. You have yeah. that dream, and you wake up, and your yeah, heart beats, yeah, yeah. and then you're like, oh, it's yeah. a dream, and then it's over. Yeah. Yeah. But to think that it's uh, that it's reality. You know, yeah, like, I still can't really believe it. It's still unfathomable, even though it's happened. But, um, and then I guess about, so I I went back to work. I just, you know, kept freelancing. Um comedy or uh, no or just I went regular... through a period where I was like the world isn't funny anymore I don't want to be around comedy I don't want to be around people who find anything funny pushing those weirdos aside yeah Dang. and I got like I started freelancing like in news like I was writing for the national for a bit and, oh wow and CTV Mansbridge. yeah and, like I was writing for Lisa Laflamme on um, CTV and I was honestly like I'm just gonna go back to the original plan straight up journalist I'm I don't want to be I don't want to ever th- think about jokes like I don't want to and I don't have anything to joke about like everything's shit (laughs) (laughs) and I did that for about six months and I got progressively more miserable because I was not in my realm with my tribe you know yeah yeah you weren't surrounded by the weirdos in the trenches that you you were meant to be I was surrounded by just like weird small talk and (laughs) I was just like what I remember like I kept having the same fucking conversation in the elevator like 12 times a day just like with people who were just too normal <laughs> yeah and then you flash forward and you're like 10 years from now yeah. it's the exact same thing like exactly. nothing changed except the tie that is exactly what happened i was like i'd get in the elevator it was like groundhog day i'd get in the elevator it's <laughs> like ah it's warm out there oh it's cold out there you yeah got any plans for the weekend and it was just like on a repetitive like a loop and you start understanding like, fight what? club yes like, oh, <laughs> i want to feel something yeah and about six months in, I was kind of like, I have to do something. I have to, I have to, I'm, I'm just, I got to get back into that world. Um, and I, I had sort of had stand up in my head for a few years as kind of something I wanted to try, but I was Were always you jotting jokes down at all. Like, not really. I was just sort of like, and a few people in my life had said to me, like, I think you, you like this or you'd be good at it. And I was sort of like, no, that's crazy. Like, it seemed too... It, I was intimidated by it. It seems... Yeah, it's frightening. It's frightening. Like, some people, it's the biggest fear in their life. Yes. Is, like, public speaking or yes. being in front of a crowd. Yes. And I'm, like, a pretty introverted person, and it was a bit, like... I don't know. It felt weird to be like, I'm going to get up on a stage, and everyone pay attention to yes, me. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It still, it still feels a bit weird sometimes. But, um, but I had sort of had it in my head as something I'd like to try at some point. Uh... And, but I was always kind of too afraid of it. And then I think after my mom died, like my sense of what was scary in the world really got redefined. Mm. And I was sort of yeah, like, that's got to put in perspective. Yeah, and like I was I'm like, scared of getting up in front of people. Yeah, you know? it just like, seemed like, dumb. I was like, what's the, like? So I get up in front of people, I say some stuff. Maybe they laugh, maybe they don't. I probably so, will never see them again yeah. in my life. Like most crowds, you're yeah. like, yeah, it's anonymity. Yeah, and I kind of felt like the worst thing has already happened to me. So what? Like, how could this? be any worse than that it mm-hmm. can't and it just it just seemed like ridiculous compared to what had just happened to be afraid of getting on stage yeah um, especially when i like being on stage um, yeah you get immediate gratification you, you get laughs you right there it's I not mean, like writing where you're like yeah. is this any good you find out <laughs> yeah. right there and then right away if it's good or bad exactly yeah so i it's about six months after she died and i was like i just i gotta like i kind of I feel like I was one of those like weird, like creatures that lived in like a sewer, mm, and then sewer I creature. and then, yeah, and then I was like, you know, in the movies when they like gra- they put their hand out into the light and they're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I'm crawling out of the sewer. Yeah. Um. So I, I looked at um, 
because Second City had been such a such a home for me for so long. Um, I checked out their schedule. They had like a stand-up 101 workshop. It was like six weeks long. And I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to take this workshop. I'm going to try this thing. But I, I signed up for it, but I remember like being online and registering for it with my credit card. And I was like angry about it. I was like, I hate this already. Hey, when the keys <laughs> as you're putting it in. I know, and I was like, I was, on the one hand, I was doing it, but I was also like mad that I was doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I already hate this stupid class. I, like, <laughs> I hate comedy. I hate jokes. I hate stand-up. I haven't even tried it yet, but I hate it. Yeah, yeah. Probably and some the, guy with glasses. He's probably stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I hate everything. <laughs> and then no. the first class rolled around. And I remember like as I was walking to the class, I was like, I already hate this class. Oh, that's a perfect improv feel you want. Yeah, and I was so, like, I had already decided how much I was going to hate it. But I, at the same time, felt like I had to do something to get out of my funk. Um, And not to, like, minimize my mother's death as a funk. No, no. But I was really, like, struggling to just get through the day. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta get up. It was kind of an effort to, like, pull myself up. Um. And I think stand-up, like, it was a good amount of fear. It was like, I wanted to do something that made me feel alive again. And that was kind of a good thing because it was it was scary, but not too scary, but, like, exhilarating. But mm-hmm. it, was like, it, was, it was a good... It's not jumping out of a plane. No. <laughs> but, you know, you're getting your heart racing. Exactly. <laughs> so and I needed something like that. So I went to the first class, and I was like, Wah! And I remember, like, kind of that mentality we were just talking about, about like, not giving a fuck anymore. Yeah. We were sitting around the class, and the instructor was like, let's all go around and say why we're taking the class. And everybody was like, you know, the usual, like, oh, I really like Louis C.K. And, like, all this kind of <laughs> oh, stuff. Yes. Nice. And then it got to me, and I, like, totally, like, I didn't give a single shit. And I was like, well, my mom died. <laughs> and I was, like, uh-huh. I was like, I'm coming out of a living nightmare, and I'm just here to, like, feel alive again. Oh, that's <laughs> great, like, though. It was so awkward. Yeah, but that's, like, comedy, though. That's yeah. what it is, is being open yeah. and honest about yeah, it. Yeah, but as, as soon as the words left my mouth, I was like, why? Probably shouldn't have. <laughs> got the wrong feel for this. Yeah. I was like, I am scared of talking to people. <laughs> I know, and then I was like, that was probably too much information. Sorry, bye. Yeah. And then I was like, great, thanks, bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did you go back? To the... Yeah. You'd already paid for the class. Yeah, so and then the class there. went on, and it was exactly like improv. Within about 20 seconds, I was like, I love this. I love being here. I love these people. I love this instructor. I love everything that's happening. Um, you could stop being Sophie for a bit too in yeah, those classes and yeah. start being those characters we were talking about. Yeah, and I mean it was, it just felt like coming home. I was like, this is this is where I need to be, and I was so, it was such a sense of relief that that world still existed and that I was still allowed to be part of it because I had dropped out of comedy for like a year, and part of my fear walking into this class was like, I don't know if I still belong here. I don't know if I still know how to do this. I don't know if like. You know, a lot's happened to me. Like, has that changed me as a comedian? And it was such a relief to realize that, like, I still made sense in that world. And there was still, like, a place for me there. And, um, and yeah. And, it, and then as I did the class. I loved it. And then we did a class show at the end. And then I just started going out to open mics. And, and when did you start working for Punchline? Yeah, so that's the other crazy thing. Was, like, I had been doing stand-up for, like, four seconds. And it was almost like the universe, this sounds so hokey, hippy dippy, but like, no, <laughs> it was almost like the universe was like rewarding me for taking that step back into comedy because I had, this is about August last year, I'd been, I'd maybe been to like, I'd finished the class and I'd been to maybe two open mics ever. 
And then a friend of mine that I used to write with on Strombo um, messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, there's like a writing job opening up at Punchline and I think you'd be really good for it. Um, and I was kind of like, I was like, yeah, I guess. And then I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I was still feeling like a bit fragile and I was sort of like, I don't know how much new stuff I can take on and I don't know if like, I'm still kind of figuring out like where I fit in comedy and I, was, I don't know, I had a lot of hesitation about it. Um, and then I was kind of like, yeah, like I sent him my resume and I was like, yeah, I mean, put me forward if you want, but like, don't, don't go out of your way. And then I ended up getting a job. I ended up getting that job as a writer. And then like four seconds after I got into that job, the managing editor of Punchline left for another job. And then my exec producer was like, hey, you seem to be doing really well at this writing job. Do you want to step into the managing editor role? And I was like, what? Jeez. <laughs> I know. It seems like professionally, things were just falling I into your lap. You that know, like never, personally, yeah. you were having struggles, but like professionally, it just seemed like things were working out. Yeah, and that never happens to me. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I was just, that's what I mean. Like, it felt like I took this little step into this stand up workshop, and it felt like the universe was just like, rewarding me for that and being like here here's more more yeah. stuff and then you think back to angrily punching in yeah. those keys and that <laughs> was like the decision that yeah. really stemmed all of this yeah it was crazy and so um so i took over the managing editor role i guess in the fall um and it is such a dream job like it's crazy you're great at it and andrew <laughs> Barr, my roommate writes a, a lot yes. for it and i i was luckily enough to yes. put one up and you turn our goobly guck into <laughs> sweet sweet music oh that's so nice to hear like once you reread sometimes i'll send it and i'll be like i don't know and then once you read your copy you're like oh gosh she's really good at this there's a reason she is in charge well thank you those of you who don't know cbc punchline is a great satirical website it's uh, uh sort of like the onion is canada's answer to the onion am i fair enough to yeah. say that that's not uh no, minimalizing think, what no. you guys do then. no i think that's uh that's pretty accurate we also do like web series um and yeah a lot of news and satire and parody and that kind of stuff and you're like the the head writer so you must have a million emails a day yes. like do you have yes. just a, a, a <laughs> box load of premises that you just have to get through in a day like you mean uh, coming in from other people yeah just like open yes. submissions like i know that i i just got your email from a from a friend so mm -hmm. I, i'm sure that that happens other ways so you that must does, constantly yeah. have new submissions like what is your process in, in finding them you just read them and and you're like this this person seems to have some stuff do you watch your stand up or do yeah you take... i mean it, it comes in different ways like uh Yes, I have. And this is for people who want to be able to, to write for you. What are you yeah. looking for when they send it? Yeah, up? for sure. Um, like I have, there's a few, there's a few ways that that happens. Um, there is a lot of like word of mouth. I do get a lot of like, oh, my friend wrote for you. Right, you're in the the community. Yeah, and I mean it's helpful. It's actually really helpful to be in the comedy community as a stand-up because um, I've actually recruited a lot of writers that way. Like if I'll see somebody do a set that's I think has really good writing in it. Sometimes I'll just go talk to them after the show and see if they're interested. That's great. And I've got a lot of writers that way. Um, the writer, the writing pool that I inherited from the previous editor. Um, I mean, in her defense, she had she had been tasked with starting Punchline from scratch. She wasn't a comedian, and she was very knowledgeable about like the web and websites and stuff. But she wasn't in comedy, and she wasn't a comedy writer. Right. And I think she just kind of like. She hired a like a handful of people, but she didn't like she didn't really know she didn't really have like that community to draw from. Yeah. Um, 
And in her defense, that's a crazy task to be like, yeah, to just show up to open mics. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. bad enough for the actual audience members. <laughs> someone else has to. Yeah. So she, um, the writing, the freelance uh, pool of freelancers I inherited from her. There was like, they were very. It was a small pool. It was like probably five or six people, um, mostly male, and yeah. very. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I've been on a bit of a mission the past year not even a year, nine months, to uh, to expand the writing pool and diversify it a bit. I yeah, that's got to be important when you're, when important, you're, when yeah. you're uh, putting things online. If you're making anything now, mm. uh, not now, just because we're getting better at it, mm. do you look and say, well, I, I need some female voices in here. Yes. I need some minority voices in here. Is yeah. that an important part of the... It's uh, important to it? me because... I think it, it should be important. Yeah. I think it should be important to everybody. I mm. think, um, yeah, like I... Not to say that, like, straight white dudes aren't hilarious there's a lot of there's a lot of us there's Come a lot on. Of, <laughs> there's a lot of like unbearably hilarious straight white dudes yeah uh that said um it's been important to me to get more women writing to get more uh just like a diversity of voices people from different uh sexual orientations and races and backgrounds and like i just i want i want our comedy to be vibrant and to be reflective of actual life and that that involves getting people to talk about their experience from different yeah different places so uh so now we have more people writing just more quantity of writers and then also um more women and just more yeah just people from more diverse backgrounds i like that when i'm on a show like if i am on the road or anything like that i find i work better um with female comedians or because we we just are talking about different things we're not stepping on each other's premises i think it's nice for the audience to get two different uh feels to it yeah i think most people and it's funny that you you have to preface uh building up uh women writers with like there's a lot of funny straight dudes because like (laughs) we always feel like we have to say that to justify (laughs) you know like we know that there is you know but it's nice for you to say to to put that in there hey man i love funny white dudes that is not against them it's just that there needs to be room for absolutely else. and there's yeah. got to be uh jokes that maybe a funny white dude wouldn't get to as yeah. naturally as a female voice yeah and i've been finding on punchline like there are some issues um that we cover because we do a lot of uh satirical news mm-hmm. that don't sound credible coming from a guy like there are issues in the news that you need a woman to write about because this is lived experience of a woman right um like one example is well, I wrote this. So it's <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, plug but, it. Um, but like, there was this weird thing happening where people started sending me um, <laughs> real life objects that had been like, for some reason, feminized completely unnecessarily. So like, Bic, the pen company, yeah. put out like a special like pink pen called like Bic for her. Uh, and it was like had flowers on the cover. Yeah, and it was, you can't uh, use a blue pen when no, you're a gal. Like, what the hell? And like <laughs> I and like someone else sent me like they were in Loblaws and there was like packages of nuts, like almonds and stuff. And there was like the woman mix, and it, the only difference was like it was a nut mix, but it had pink packaging with like <laughs> with like a, like hearts on it or something. Yeah. And so we kind of did a series where we parodied that, and I just came up with everyday objects that were like ridiculously feminized. Like we, I wrote. Um, and we made sort of like advertorials for them. Yep. So I made one that was like, what did we do? We did lady paper and we did, <laughs> we did one, uh, a lady stapler, which is just, it's not even a stapler. It's so you push down on it and it's a panic button that alerts a man 
who to, has an actual stapler. stapler. <laughs> stapler. And we did like Lady Citizen Kane, which is just like the DVD is pink, but the movie's like totally the same. <laughs> exact same. Yeah, and like yeah. that's that's something that I think if a male comic wrote, it wouldn't. I don't know. It just wouldn't kind of carry the same. Yeah. Weight. Maybe making fun of uh, gals. Maybe. It would be yeah, of- yeah, and like. Another thing we did, like, uh, there was a time a few months ago when Trudeau said that he wanted to put Canadian women on the money, on the $100 bill, uh, moving forward, mm. which is great. Um, and then I got a lot of pitches about that. There were, like, 10 women we'd like to see on the bill. And then we ended up writing a story. Uh, I wrote the story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I keep plugging my own stuff. That's all right. That's not good. You almost said we, and you're like, I'm not giving credit to anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why I keep plugging my own stories. I don't mean do to be plugging my own stories. It's a um, podcast, what you do. Okay. Uh, but we, I ended up feeling that it was maybe an opportunity to address the pay gap. And so the story we ran was... Oh, nice. Um, was that the new $100 bills with Canadian women uh, were coming up, but they were only going to be worth $73. That's great. Thanks. And that... That, did, that posted really well, and it yeah. resonated with a lot of women, I think, because they're frustrated about this issue, and they were like, yes, thank you for pointing that out. When you post it, do you just put it under Punchline Staff, though? Are you? Yeah, that's Yeah, a, what's that's up with a, that now? I don't know. That's a bit of a... We're doing a... Like I said uh, before we started recording, we're doing a, a redesign of the site. Yes. And I think... And the new site, I will start to get a byline, which is nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Which would be nice. I think... Um, because you don't even know if it was written by a... Female. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, the old editor had that in place because it was a very small team when she started, mm-hmm. and I think she like I think she wanted to give the illusion that we had this like huge sprawling staff. So she had punchline staff as a byline because it really it was just one person. Yeah. But I think she liked. <laughs> I'm spilling some secrets here. No, that's <laughs> all right. I appreciate. That. Yeah, but I think I think it does kind of give the illusion that like it's a big team with lots of people writing. Really, though, on Punchline, when it says Punchline staff, it's me. Yeah, well, and only until we had this conversation, now I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I don't see your name at all, so it's got to be the Punchline staff thing. Yeah, so I think, but in the new site, I think I'm going to I'm gonna get my name. I wanted to get to the point, we just naturally came to it, but uh, mm. being a female starting uh, a comedy, stand-up specifically, in yes. Toronto, mm-hmm. everyone... It's it's a it's a very uh, important thing, maybe mm-hmm. just in our community, but it's mm-hmm. it's very uh, hot topic yes. right now. <laughs> Especially last year, Jen Grant getting uh, uh, she got heckled at a at a corporate, mm-hmm. and she couldn't do anything because she had signed a contract. Yes, and, right. and Christina got uh, heckled in Niagara, and it's a really tough thing to do because um, you actually have to worry about mm-hmm. that. I don't have to worry if mm-hmm. a man heckles me. I'm like him and I will wrestle outside you yeah. know like you you could be in a compromising situation it's yeah. more intimidating to you have yeah. you faced that in the in the year that you've done stand up have you been heckled uh, or or been sexually objectified if I if I could ask or anything like that you know like if you experience uh, those things yes i have i um i have been heckled uh by a group of uh drunk men who came into a show late after a raptors game and were oh. pretty hammered Ugh. yeah and that uh, that was kind of that was recently actually a few months ago but I it never really it sort of happened to me here and there but it had never happened to me so aggressively and so much mm. like it's, it's one thing if someone yells out a throwaway comment during your set but this was like everything out of my mouth they had they had to respond to it or like oh, engage gosh. with it somehow and they were also hammered so it was really hard to like reason with them and be like hi I'm doing this set right now because yeah. they were they were drunk and so 
that's happened to me. Um, I've also kind of observed a thing that's that's uh, disturbing where um, often if I'm doing an open mic, sometimes I'm the only woman on the lineup or there's one other woman on the lineup. Um, and I've observed a thing where the host will will bring up a male comic based on his kind of credentials and his credits. Like he hosts this show, he's done this festival. Um, and will for some reason like apropos of nothing find like a weirdly sexual way to bring up female comics um like as an example i was at a, an open mic with a female comedian friend of mine and um the host was bringing her up and said something like it, it wasn't even like relevant to anything that was ever on stage that night i don't know where he came up with it but he was just like out of nowhere isn't it crazy that like some women squirt when they come and then and then he was like our next comic i don't know <laughs> and he was like i don't know if she's a squirter or not but we'll find out Jesus. and then brought her up that way and it was like first of all young young white guy uh young guy uh well, i guess pretty, we don't have to get specific but fairly i wouldn't say young like you know but like has he been doing it 30s. yeah he's been around jesus <laughs> christ and I've, I've seen that a few times um or just like they'll find a way to kind of sexualize your set when it's not, it's like like where does that even come from? I used um, to hate when guys uh, would bring up female comedians being like, she's one of the best female comedians yeah, yeah, working. Yeah. Like yeah. you didn't have to say yeah, you don't say yeah. he's one of the best guy comedians. Yeah, just say yeah. she's one of the best comedians coming up right now. Yeah, you know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing. And then I, I've, I mean, I've run into audience members who. They'll say things like, "Oh, you're cute and you're funny. You have an like just yeah, like shit right. like that." I mean, audience, uh, it's audiences are different. That's just the general public. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, you, we're we're always gonna have to deal with drunks, like especially yes. just in our profession. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just true. gonna happen in the clubs or like comedy bars. Sometimes comedy bar doesn't happen as much. Though. Yeah, actually, comedy bar has been really great because there's a real. uh, comedy nerd's not the right way to put it but there's like a real appreciation of the art scene uh, around here and uh, I say around here because we're right next door to comedy bar (laughs) we're inside of comedy bar right now (laughs) but uh, there's different audience members that come to that that I find are way nicer maybe they're not always laughing but they're just like respectful it's like when you go to the open mics and yeah I find that that too I feel like comedy bar uh, I feel really safe there Mm -hmm. I've never run into any issues um yeah, it's more just like the wider scene, like when you're going to random open mics at a bar or at a pub or something. Yeah. Um, and there's weird comedians. Like, oh, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. it's like, we, sometimes people are like, well, we're comedians, we all got to get along. It's like, we all just happen to be doing the job. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. we're not going to like everybody. Yeah. So you pick and choose, hey, I want to be surrounded by these people. Yeah. And you start figuring out, well, that's a strange person, and I yeah. prefer to be arm's <laughs> length away from them. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you're starting out, too, there's kind of this feeling like, oh, I have to... I have to kind of be in with everybody and I have to yes. I have to go to the open mics like these particular ones they seem it's important it's like cafeteria all over again yeah yeah and it's like it's like oh this mic seems like an important one I better start going there regularly even though I routinely routinely get harassed and feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I kind of arriving at a point now where I'm like I think I would I think I would rather do rooms where I feel not just comfortable but I feel like I I kind of am appreciated, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I've, I've done a couple of rooms where it's very, like, it's very male-dominated and just kind of, like, bro-y and jockey. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not just that I don't really feel personally comfortable there, though there is that. It's more that, like, the kind of comedy that I do 
doesn't really make sense to those audiences. Yes. Like it's not a, it's not going to be appealing to people who are also laughing at like 67 like jerk off jokes. Right. I'm not going to get up then and that, like that's not I don't think that that audience is going to really like dig what I'm doing. <laughs> I played uh, universities quite a bit uh, this year oh, yeah. and uh, there was a moment being on stage uh, at night and they're all hammered and they're 19 years old yeah. and I'm telling uh, personal jokes about my relationship and yeah. things like that <laughs> yeah. and it's just way over they're 19 yeah. they're not experiencing that yeah. at all and I remember there was a moment where I just said the words library uh, and there was about seven guys who went we have fucking library <laughs> And I was like, oh, you guys are just so fired up. You guys are just, I don't know what you want from me, yeah, but yeah, you're yeah. just, they're just, they're, there was a disconnect where you're like, I, I just don't feel like I can yeah. maybe bring it to you. I might be able to hold your attention yeah. for a little bit, but if I'm doing 35 of these yeah. people, I just, I felt like I'm, I'm a 30 year old man yeah. and I do do a jerk off joke. I'm yeah, so yeah. sorry no, to say no, that. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, so I'm doing it to 19 year olds and yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Like there's like halfway through the joke, I'm like, no, okay. All right. Yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about something else. But there was just nothing to, yeah. uh, how do you find time to uh, also write stand up? While you have a, a, a nine to five where you're also just writing comedy all yeah. day long, and sometimes it works for me, and sometimes it works against me. Like there are days where I, I'll come up with a premise, and it, I can't quite get it to work for punchline, and then I'm able to uh, use it for stand up in some way. And because there's such a nice like flow back and forth between my job, I mean, it's not like I do like accounting all day and then go do stand up, like. Like, the two worlds kind of feed each other. Yeah. And uh, the way you guys write is can be personal, too. It could yeah. be like, a lady walks into a bar and sees something. Like, you could write yeah, from the yeah, things yeah. you're seeing as well, you know? Yeah. So that's got to uh, be good. Yeah, totally. And so um, so sometimes uh, it's good because it kind of... It, it puts me in a space where all day I'm kind of like... I'm thinking comedically. I'm thinking about jokes. I'm thinking about premises. Sometimes that really helps stand up. Other days I come home and I'm like... I'm kind of just burnt, burnt out. out and I'm like, I don't want to think about any more jokes or phrases. Yeah. And then um, I let myself off the hook for writing stand-up because I'm like, no, I've been thinking of jokes all day. I'm just going to yeah. like, I'm just going to chill out or whatever. Um, and then you go to the show and you're like, I have nothing new I to know, talk about. I know. <laughs> you're just like so ill-prepared. Yeah. I hate when I do that sometimes. I know, me too. And so I, yeah, some days it's like, I got to get more disciplined about like, just like sitting down and making dedicated writing time for stand-up because mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it, it takes work. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. It's a lot of work. Do you want to write uh, in like a television capacity at any point uh, again, like after the Strombo? Um, like, would you like to get back into? I guess there's not a lot in Canada. Yeah, uh, there isn't a lot. For, That's the thing. Like, I left Strombo. I think a lot of people leave Strombo, and it's not like in the States where there's like 56 late night shows. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Like, oh, I was on I'll the Sal, and I'll just go over to Leno or let's yeah. go over to. Seth Meyers or like just go over to Leno's house and yeah. uh, write jokes from <laughs> or his living room <laughs> yeah like it's I think a lot of people leave Strombo and they're like well where do I go now like there's there's nowhere that really there's nowhere that really it was the top yeah, yeah well it's just like a, there's no logical next step really I mean you can go you can write for similar shows like 22 Minutes or Mercer or whatever um, but it's yeah it's a weird feeling because you leave and you're like I don't I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah, there's not many of these opportunities. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not really itching to get back into TV at the moment. Um, You've got such a great thing going I'm, right now. I'm really Why happy doing what I'm doing, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's kind of, it's kind of a good fit for my voice. I think to yeah. do more written stuff. 
Well, you're doing a great job at it. Thanks, man. Before I let you go, mm-hmm. did we play softball against each other last Saturday? Do you play in the softball no, league? No, I didn't. There is someone who looks identical what? to you. Who is this person? Oh, and she's good at softball, oh, too. Shit. So, wow. yeah, let her run with it and who then just get all the credit. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think she played for Bad Dog. The Bad really? Dog Theater, yeah. Oh, man. And I, uh, someone on the team's name was Sophie, so I was like, that's got to oh be. I almost went up God. and was like, hi, we haven't met, but we. So thank God I didn't. That's crazy. Yeah. So you got to take out. like a covert picture of this. Well, actually, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's really creepy. I'll take a very <laughs> out in the open ask her to get a yeah, photo. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's another thing. I was walking by a female uh, softball game the other day, and mm. I like stopped because like I like watching softball. We're sure. playing a co game. Yeah. But, like, I had the creepiest vibe because, like, a man just yeah. stopping and, like, staring from the parking lot at, like, a women's game. Yeah. Like, what, what, is that guy about to take pictures yeah. right now? Can you just move along? See anyone's father? Can yeah. someone check? <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, it's it. my pleasure. Thanks for having it me It seems on. like you're doing very well. I'm doing okay. I'm doing oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks, dude. Bye. Well, that was a fun old conversation. Thanks again to my... Yes, Sophie Cohn for coming by. She was so lovely. Um, if you guys would like to check out more of Sophie, please go to CBC Punchline. Like we said, everything that says Punchline staff on it. Oh, that's that's Miss Sophie Cohn doing her work. The Lord's work. I'm not even getting any of the credit. If you guys would like to check out some stand-up this week uh, and you're in the Toronto uh, or Ontario region, please come on out to Hotbox on Thursday. It's uh, located in Kensington Market, 7 o'clock, and then on Saturday I'm in Sudbury performing in a golf course. A bunch of drunken uh, middle-aged white men, presumably. That's who go to golf courses, I think. Uh, So thank you again to Sophie. If you like this, please, again, subscribe, rate, tell your friends, tell your family. Don't, don't tell your dad. He doesn't deserve this. He, he's, he's made his mistakes, and he knows why, why, why you don't talk to him anymore. I'm kidding. Love your father. It was just Father's Day for crying out loud. Uh, thanks again, and I love you all individually for all different reasons. Goodbye, and come back next week.